This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 25, if you're scoring along at home tonight, and we hope you are. I'm P.F. Wilson, content director for Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. Today on our show, the greatest catcher of all time, Johnny Bench. Uh, one of the sponsors had a, one of those in part of the wall, you know, where they sponsored them. And so it was a suit, men's clothing. If you hit it over, the, over that sign, you got a new suit. I got five. Johnny was gracious enough to join us in the Hyde Park studio to talk about baseball uh, and also about his other ventures, as well as his book from a few years back, Catch Every Ball. Uh, Also things about, like, why you weren't supposed to go over to Northern Kentucky when you were a player with the Reds back in the 70s. Lots of fun stuff there. Uh, There's also a special announcement about the Johnny Bench Award, so listen for that. And be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode so you can save 20% on your next Cincy shirts or old school shirts order. And with that, here's Josh Darren and me talking to Johnny Bench. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. Welcome, everyone, to the Cincy Shirts podcast. I am joined by co-host Darren Overholzer. Yes, I'm here. And, of course, P.F. Wilson. Hello. The voice of the Cincy Shirts podcast. Our guest this week, with all due respect to uh, previous and probably all due respect to future, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is uh, the greatest catcher of all time. He is, a, he is a legend in every sense of the word. We are absolutely lucky to have a relationship with him to create apparel for him and to have him here with us is is uh is a real treat we are joined this week by johnny bench welcome thank you thank you josh thank you darren unbelievable yeah yeah, how are you it's a morning we can do that Uh, we can start that it's just a podcast yeah that's right (laughs) i've got the keys on the computer over here i can type it anytime whatever you want yeah you can stop it um thanks for being here good to be here you guys have been friends for a while and uh, obviously, the the shirts have been uh, how many years? Four, five, six. I mean, it's been a while, so but we got yeah. some great stuff. Yeah, it's fun been stuff. A- you know, glad to see you know how much you progressed and um, expanded. Fun stuff, neat stuff. People go online. Where I mean, where the, they can go to CincyShirts.com dot com and probably you got it. And just open up our third store in Loveland. So, uh, so that's. So that's going Josh crazy. must really so. be making a lot of money in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. That is not it's the case. It's why we had to open a third store. What was John Bears for yeah. Tipton? <laughs> what? What is that? Oh, the millionaire. Thank you, P.F. for yeah. sure. This, this guy, this will be your uh, well, reference. Well, you got to be old enough to do it, first of all. I only he know was... that, though, from a Second City sketch because I oh, really? know it secondhand. Yeah, because I saw the sketch, uh, the millionaire sketch on Second City, and I asked my dad, I said, what show are they making fun of? Because there was a show called The Millionaire, and the guy, I think, was John Bear And the guy went over and gave somebody a million dollars before the clearinghouse, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. okay. So he gave a million dollars to this guy. Series. It was right after 
Who wants to be queen for a day? Well, I'm, here they are talking again. I'm talking to young kids that don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. But that's about. funny because I remember the joke that my parents made all the time was maybe the check from the millionaire came today. And I never knew what sense. the... What the and genesis? John, was, I think yeah. John Bears for t- 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 Yeah, this, the bit on Second City was he was out of money and he was handing out hundred dollar checks. So that was the shtick. <laughs> yeah. And John Candy was the guy that took the checks, and Eugene Levy, I think. Oh, no, Joe Flaherty was the millionaire. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Man. So let's start at the. This is great. This there is you go. Yeah, so we've opened three shops, and so now we're yeah. rich. And All right. Well, that was Johnny Bench, guys. Thanks for being here. <laughs> um, so yeah, one of the things I mean, I want to get to like. Your, your whole background and everything, but one of the things that I've noticed about you, even before I met you, but especially now, is you are good at so many things. I mean, baseball is obviously what everybody knows you for, but you tell jokes, you sing, you know, what, like... Was baseball always your first love and that other stuff was just kind of came to you, or were you... I, did you, you know, know I, you I, three and a half years old, I'm watching the game of the week, you know, with my dad. My dad had served two hitches in the war. I mean, his whole dream was to be a major league catcher, but the war came along. He served eight years. So when he came out, he was too old. I mean, at 25 at that time. And so he hoped one of his sons, I had two older brothers, five and six years older. And we played in the backyard. You know, it was kind of like the field uh, field of dreams. We had a corn a cornfield in the backyard when we first, when I, where I first grew up for the first two, two and a half, three years. And we'd play baseball out there, and dad hit the ball way out in the cornfield, and we'd have to go look for it, and, you know, his old. <laughs> friction tape and everything else and tacked in batten and uh he just hoped and you know and it was just uh he didn't drive anything into anybody but three and a half years old i'm watching mickey mantle uh come to bat on tv and the announcer pf says now batting the next superstar the switch hitting center fielder from oklahoma mickey mantle and i thought and i looked at my dad and i said you can be from oklahoma and play in the major leagues that's what i want to be so wow, that early, huh? And at, at six, the dad's at six years old. My dad started the little league team. We rode around the back of the pickup truck with our little Levi's and T-shirts. And a lot of days we had to go, you know, knock on doors to try to get a ninth player because the town was only six hundred and sixty. So we uh, and we would go play and we would lose. And my dad said, "That's all right. We'll get him tomorrow. Let's go get a cheeseburger." And we went and got a cheeseburger and and we played. But I played against my older brothers. We had a home run. We went to the park all the time, played home run derby. We played a game called Tin Can, so it was a Milnot can that, you know, you had the little church, uh, you used the church key, the beer opener. Yeah. And you used the bat that had been broken, and you flattened it, you cut it in half and split it down the middle on the barrel, so the barrel was flat, and you hit it, and if you got it past, I don't know, this this marker was a single, that marker was a double, triple home run, and Grand Slam was inside the shed. But once you started hitting this can, it started denning. And all of a sudden, you're throwing screwballs, sliders. You know, you could throw anything with it. Yeah. And we'd spend, you know, everybody, you know, not nobody really had gloves. So we were bad. So we had to, we'd take the bat. And, of course, by then, you know, some point had come up and, you know, cut hands. Yeah. Like I still have scars. And you'd tack it down. And then you'd go back and pitch again. And then you hit it in the shed. you get a grand slam. So we really got better. And at the end of the year, we played a team that was undefeated. And we beat them. And they were over there crying. <laughs> and today it's the parents that are over there crying. Right, 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 right. And so I looked at my dad and I said, what's wrong with him, dad? He said, they haven't learned to lose yet, son. Let's go get a cheeseburger. Wow. So I played baseball and then we started school in early August, beginning of August, so we could let out school for three to four weeks to harvest the crops. So I pulled cotton and combined peanuts and had the paper out and mowed the, mowed the lawns and painted gas tanks. 
And then we played basketball. And we baseball came around. We played baseball. And it was just a simple life. But Did you like basketball, too? I was an honorable mention All-American in basketball in wow. high school. And I loved it. But I loved anything I did. I mean, if you were yeah. going to do it, you, you know, yeah. it was a passion. I didn't have an iPad at that time. <laughs> yeah. And so I spent the time at the park, in the gym, or working. And, you know, later on, I drove the gas truck for my dad. We had a, he had a propane business, and I drove the propane truck when I didn't even have a license. I was 15, delivering gas to the farms because we had so many peanuts and cotton fields, and we'd be chopping cotton, you know. We got in July, you know, all, you know, we'd go out and chop the cotton. I don't know if you know what that means. When they get the plants up, there's weeds in between. So you had your hoe, and you had to go in and chop all the weeds out in between the plants. So the mile, you know, this 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 is a quarter mile, a three half third of a mile long. Some of these rows, wow. and you'd go down, and then you'd have to come back. And you were out there at six o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know you'd have a two gallon jug of water that you know by then the ice had done. You'd have a scrambled egg sandwich. And with lots of mayonnaise, nice. be sitting in the sun for six hours, <laughs> and then you'd go eat it. It was the greatest <laughs> meal on earth. And I never got any salmonella. I got never got anything. And then a couple of times we were chopping certain fields where the watermelon patch was on the other side of the fence, and we go bust the watermelon. We call it bust it, just drop it, and then the heart's right there. And uh, that was just my simple life. I mean, so I played, and I never caught, but I was everybody knew I was a catcher. So. Did, like looking back, were those like things that helped you in your career, like the work ethic side of it or hitting a can with a smaller bat? Did that because like I know my son, he's seven and he was obsessed with the mini bats, like the little souvenir bats. Mm-hmm. And I would pitch to him and that's what he would want to hit with. Even when he was stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you start him out with balloons. I would throw the ball against the, the, the propane tank. I tacked a, a, a Folgers can to the garage and I would pitch because I pitched all my career. I mean, I pitched five, ten times more than I ever caught. Everybody knew I was a catcher, but I pitched. And so I was uh, like 84 and three lifetime. So it, that worked out pretty well. <laughs> what? I didn't lose till I was 16. What? But, uh, but I, you know, big hands running through hard, really, and practice throwing to, you know, long distances. And I would, and when, in fact, when I pitched, I pitched all the, we had the, the finals of every tournament I pitched and we won the state championship. So it was, you know, but I, on the, all the days with the state championship, I took infields as a catcher so the scouts could see me. I just had a, you know, known a little bit of reputation and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I, my work ethic was the fact that my dad worked hard. He drove the gas truck. He'd get up at four or five in the morning, drive, go out and deliver gas before it got hot and then be back. And then we'd go fishing or something. And it was just, uh, that was just good, good, you know, up, upbringing. Was there a point where you were, You'd had to decide between basketball or no, baseball? no, no. I was six, always six foot white kid that couldn't, you know. <laughs> I bet you could palm a basketball though. Right? I could dunk. Yeah, I could dunk, and <laughs> I never forget my freshman year that we were so good. Our we were undefeated in junior high, so the high school team wasn't that good. So they put us in to to play with them, and we played really good. And then so we got to the regional tournament, and uh, coach came up. Everybody, I was my speed was legendary. You know they timed me with a calendar. <laughs> So I, uh, the coach said, I finally found somebody you can keep up with. We're going to full court press him. Well, I got this kid at the baseline. That's the last time I saw him all day. I chased him for four quarters. Uh, but, no, I actually had scholarships. Uh, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, how the draft would go, because it was the first free agent draft. Yeah. The Cubs loved me. 
absolutely. Billy Caps was a scout. He loved me. He wanted me badly. And his supervisor came down and saw me one game. And uh, we'd just come back from a senior trip after three weeks. Hadn't played anything. I went one for four, I think, he said. Because Billy told me this. And uh, he said, please, just stay over another night. They got another game. So now I got to. Well, the next night I went four for four. had two home runs, two doubles. They didn't see that. But I was a kid in a small town that nobody really knew about. So they didn't think anybody would, you know, go after because they didn't know what would happen because it was the first draft. Yeah. And and it, there's actually a, a rule that Jerry Krause was the is it was the general manager of the uh, Chicago Bulls. Yeah, yeah. He had the bench rule, and it was implemented because a group of scouts and and officials of the of the ball clubs were sitting around in a bar talking. Says, well, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? And one guy said to Jim McLaughlin, who was the minor league coordinator, what do you think about Bench? Ah, we're not that high on him. And he walked out of the room and said, who's, who's Bench? Who are they talking about? And they sent a scout in from Kansas, a scout in from Texas. They saw Texas, they saw me play two games. They liked the way I threw, and I got drafted in the second round. And it just, you know. In fact, I was drafted twice. I was drafted Johnny Bench out of Binger, Oklahoma, and I was drafted as Johnny Lee Bench out of Anadarko, which I, where I played American Legion. And uh, that was the first draft. And I had 17 years old. I got in school early. So I graduated at 17. I went to Tampa, Florida. They put me on a plane. I got off the plane. They took me to the ballpark, dressed me in a uniform. I warmed up the pitcher in the bullpen in the seventh inning, warmed up the pitcher at home plate in the eighth, and caught the ninth inning of that ball game. And they released the other catcher. And the next day we went to Miami. And I'm 17 years old, making $500 a month. So I'm big time. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So was that culture shock for you? I mean, just getting on a plane in general? or Yeah, but I mean, I mean just, all, everything in life is a challenge in so many ways, but it's something that you accept and what you have to do. So this is what I have to do to do this. I get there and I do it. And But, to, you know, somebody do it. And what did I know? You know, I, you know, I'd always played at a higher level. When I was 9, I played with 11 and 12-year-olds. When I was 11, I played with 12 and 13-year-olds. When I was 14, I played American Legion against 17 and 18-year-olds. So I wasn't quite overmatched. I mean, <clears throat> the best kid that I saw in high school was probably just a routine guy. And so you had to adjust. So I was there to do it. I mean, I, that's that was what I grew up to do. And so I probably didn't realize, you know, the mag- magnitude of it all. So you you were ready because we've had a couple of the soccer players in here from FC and it, both of them said they were drafted they were and they got to the main team the big league team and found out they weren't as good as they thought they exactly. were exactly yeah but it seems you were because he's like you said you were playing with guys that were at a higher level than you well, I went to spring training time. the next yeah. year and I'm you know I'm sitting in this locker room and I'm out on the field and I'm hell I'm as good as these guys <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and that was my attitude I mean yeah, I, they yeah. well you have they, to have that attitude throw, yeah it's, I have a thing I call inner conceit I've talked about it for. 50 some years and it's being better than the situation whenever you're faced with a situation you're better than that and when you went to the plate you were better than the pitcher when the runner was trying to steal you were better you knew you could throw him out it didn't always happen but that's the The mindset in your mind you were better than what the situation was so and, uh, was were the Yankees your favorite team, or was Mickey Mantle oh, sure. your favorite player oh, yeah. growing up? Yeah, it just killed me when Maris hit more home runs. <laughs> you know, but Roger seemed like such a nice guy, and he was so shy. And, and you know, I think it was just part of what watching him even, you know, and Mickey was they hit the ball and they and they would just put their head down and run around the bases, and that was sort of mine. I didn't do too many too much gyrations and everything else. Of course, yeah. there wasn't a sports center at that time. Right, so right, right. <laughs> otherwise, I'd have been on it quite a bit because of collisions at home plate. And yeah, yeah, stuff. of course. Uh, 
So when you ended up with the Reds, what was that? I mean, were you? The Yankees had beat them five in five games in 61. That's all I knew. I knew nothing. So, well, I mean, I'm growing up in a town that got the newspaper once a week. Yeah. And the only time we'd have a game of the week, you know, on, on Gene Kirby and Pee Wee Reese and them, we'd watch that. But, you know, um, I didn't have any, you know, what the Reds were. Uh, they played the Yankees, and they were so they had to be something pretty good. They had three catchers: uh, Jim Coker, Don Pavletic, and John Edwards. And in the next year, I was in Carolina League uh, at eighteen. I went to I played instructional league, and I was in the uh, Carolina League. And uh, Pinky May, Merrill Pinky May, was our manager. And he, when I came into his office, he said, "Look at this," and it was a report from the Reds on farm system and everything else and said Johnny Bench probably soon to be the next catcher in Cincinnati and it was like holy crap you know I mean it's like yeah. but when I when I left spring training we had a manager the manager at that time of the Reds was Don Hefner and he called me into the office and I was you know 18 he said son I gotta tell you right now you could be the catcher for us right but it wouldn't do you any good I could take you with me and it's part of the sales thing sure you could be you know I could take you with me right now but it's, you're gonna be better to be a big fish in a little pond so, you know, I went down. They actually retired my number in the Carolina League. Which <laughs> they also had a, a, one of the sponsors had a, one of those in part of the wall, you know, where they sponsored. And, and so it was a suit, men's clothing. If you hit it over the over that sign, you got a new suit. I got five. <laughs> I was the best-dressed kid in the Carolina <laughs> And then, my, you know, life changed. I, w- I, w- I went to Buffalo. I called up to Buffalo and mm-hmm. the end of uh, July. And... First game, for first inning, third hitter, foul ball broke my thumb. So I went to Buffalo, went home, went back to Cincinnati, got it in cast, and went home to Oklahoma. And my buddy I played American Legion ball with uh, was playing in uh, Wichita. So I drove up to Wichita to watch him play. And I told, promised my brother I would come back. He was in Oklahoma City. I promised him I would come back and stay with him. So I got in the car, and I'm driving back on the interstate. And uh, 70 miles an hour, I'm just... There's the truck. I pulled out behind, past the truck. Here's the drunk driver on the wrong side. And it was a big 98 Oldsmobile. I hit the brakes, went right, hit me right in the door. Uh, Galaxy 500 folded up like a V. I guess the first car was a was a, a doctor. And I, I regained consciousness, consciousness getting into the ambulance. And I'm thinking, don't let me die. Mom and Dad will be so sad. And I get to the, get to the hospital, and the doctor comes in and says, son, You've got the biggest bones I've ever seen in my life," he said. "Every other human being would be would not walk out of here. They'd be in a wheelchair probably the rest of their lives," he said. "But you'll pay the price." So, you know, I went to Carolina League. I went to instructional league after that, and uh, that was part one. And of course, you know, today, you know, I am paying the price. I've got two artificial hips, and everybody thinks it's from catching, but it's and six bad discs and stuff. And but um, it was. International League, and then I get called up to at the end of '67 at 19. So it was pretty cool because Gary Nolan was 19, and we were roommates and two 19-year-olds as the battery for the Reds. Wow. How far did that uh, wreck set you back? Well, I it, it happened in uh, September, and I I reported to instructional league in October. Wow, I mean, so, that's incredible. I mean, I'll tell you, I did. did you I know I did because then? when I when I when I got to we were playing a mixture of team. We were playing with the Astros and the Reds were combined, and we were in Clearwater, Florida. And my, my Gary Nolan mm-hmm. came down. It's the first time I ever saw you. 
He said, you were, you were singing If I Had a Hammer. And I'm singing in there with still that mercure comb basically on my head. And I was still shaved head. You know, I got scars here and scars on my shoulder. And um, But drunk was fine. Oh, that's how that's it always is. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you, at the, like you were saying, it's good to have that confidence that you that you deserve to be there and you're good enough to be there. But was there a part of you from like your, like your childhood that was in internally like enamored by like the thought you were in the big leagues, like you had fulfilled like a dream that I never your expected parents had less. You know, at fifth grade, I made a C in penmanship. It was the worst grade I ever made. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed because the one thing I wanted to do when I signed my autograph, I wanted to be like John Hancock because we were studying the Declaration of Independence at that time. John Hancock's name is still being able to read. So I went down to the Texaco station and I would write my name. I would practice my my signature. And it's Ford, a gorgeous signature. Ford McKinney. <laughs> well, it's sort of going away now with all the, I've got numb fingers and everything else. And, uh, I've had 30 chips taken out of my shoulder. Reattached the bicep. I've had epidurals. I've got 17 broken bones. In 1972, they, we have the normal physicals. And so we went up and I took the physical. And then they, they said, you know, the next day, I said, can you come back in? To, we need, or for whatever reason, your x-ray wasn't clear. So I said, yeah. So I go up and they take one. I said, we need to take another one, okay? So they took another one. Says, they came back in and said, look, we got. We, there's a graph x-rays that we want to take. I said, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, uh doctor will have to tell you. I said, I'm not going in until either somebody tells me or whatever. So they said, well, we think we've found a spot on your lung. And I'd been out to Bakersfield, California, playing in the Buck Owens tournament. One of the cool moments when I'm standing outside the hotel and Roy Rogers comes out and he said, you want to go bowling? And I bowled, I bowled professionally, but I didn't go with him. <laughs> of course. Uh, I bowled professionally. Well, I mean, my dad and I, we bowled in tournaments. We, you know, I never bowled 300, so it wasn't that big a deal. But uh, I didn't, but I got the called thing called co- coccidia white mycosis. That's sort of, it's called the valley fever. And they came in and they... They said, you have a spot on your lung, and it's grown since last year. And so they took the bronchoscopy. They tested for histoplasmosis, tuberculosis. They couldn't get to it or whatever, so they said, we're going to have to take it out. And so 72 was the playoffs with the Pirates Mm -hmm. and the home running. And then four days after I turned 25, I I had went in, which had the first surgery of its kind in the United States. Uh, staple surgery. So I'm cut from here all the way around to here. Normally they'd cut up all the way to your back muscles. He, Dr. Lou Gonzalez was from here. We found the best surgeon. They said, we're going to find the best surgeon. Turned out Lou was from here. And so at Christ Hospital, you know, he came in and and um, he said, you ready? I said, let's get the margaritas going. Let's get this thing over with. But And so they, they cut me and crossed the chest, you know, the ribs and the muscles and the nerves and and it, it staple surgery is like kind of like a Luger gun where you slide it and crank it back. Well, it resects the, the tissue that was there. It's about the size of a half dollar. So they resected it, you know, went across, cut it, and then they went back the other way, which stapled it airtight. So it cut back, and he saved my back muscles. And this is at 25? Four days after I turned 25. I just won my second MVP. And so <laughs> I had, you know, I never was the same player. You know, I never, you know, I never fulfilled some of the things that, I think I could have, you know, career was fine, you know, where it got to where I am, but I'd really like to have, you know, 
uh, had that other opportunity uh, or, or full have the, and be able to work out the way these guys do today and everything else. So I, it was uh, it was different. You know, if you look at my numbers after that, because I just hit 40 and 45 two years before that. And so it just never was quite, you know, the, the difference is about four to six inches, <laughs> probably four inches is closer to where you hit the ball and how quickly you can get to it. In a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, in our studies that we've done this posted with the National Institute of Health, a 90-mile-an-hour <coughs> 90 fastball, it takes 0.42 seconds to get to home plate. You have 0.7 seconds reaction time. So you got to be uh, identify, spin, rotation, speed, everything, all that goes with it. And so, you know, that 0.17, you know, I could, I would think I was, I could react in 0.13 or 1.2. So I could see it longer and, and do it. So then it became, all of a sudden, it was a little slower. I never had, I never had that four inches again that uh, can make a difference. So it was fascinating. Uh, yeah, things happen in your life, you know, and a lot of things. I never knew that. I never knew that. I said, no, well, it doesn't seem like, you know, it would have been better. But, you know, I, I played on one of the greatest teams in history. Uh, that goes without saying. And I had people around me, you know, and then Sparky, you know, was, was you know, all our managers were great. Sparky was, you know, superhuman being. And so now at the time, because I, I argue with with my friends from New York, Yankees fans, that that team was the best starting eight position players you know, compared to any of the the Dodgers or the Yankees, or did, at the time, were you able to process like that that team's place in in not just the city's history but baseball's history? Of like, did you know how good you guys were at the time? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's hard not to. I mean, you know, people will say, "Well, what's your all star team?" And I said, "Well, you know, you, you individuals, you got to have the best individuals at each position." And how they face themselves. So you could take McCovey at first. You could take Schmidt at third. You could do some things. And Joe, it's, you know, and David, and you put those in there. But as when you put, like you said, the team together and you got, you know, the second place hitters, Griffey, eighth place hitters, Geronimo. You got gold gloves up the middle. You got David, JV, Joe, and Cesar up the middle and all gold gloves. And, you, you know, and then you have George come in, really made a difference, in, you know, with his power and stuff. I, th I think somebody said when we were all in the lineup together, we won like 80%, 78% of our games. That's incredible. Jeez. Uh, but, but we were also good in 70. You know, a lot of people never yeah. realized. Yeah. You know, Lee May hit uh, 35, Tony hit 39 that year. And we were 70 and 30 at the All-Star break. And, you know, we had wow. a kid named Wayne Simpson was as good as you ever saw in your life. Then he hurt his arm. He had to. his way he snapped his curveball off. But then we went in and we went and played the Orioles, and we had our fifth starter. We, we had Clay Carroll start and Tony Cloninger start. Uh -huh. And, you know, they, were, they weren't, you know, who we had, you know. Uh, and so it was just a situation where we lost, and we lost again in 70, 70, 72, and then, of course, we win. But, and if we don't beat the Red Sox, then we become the Buffalo Bills, you know, right. can't, can't win. Right. You know? Everybody talks about you and everything else. Now, how about that series? Because the you know I'm I'm such a diehard Reds fan that I argue with people over stuff, but I feel like that series, it's all about Carlton Fisk's home I run. I was going to ask about this because and, well, it was about Bernie Carbo's home run. Uh, yeah, he hit the pinch hit three run homer, and then Joe hit the ball into right field that 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 I think the ball caught Dwight. 
one of the great catches in the history of the anywhere. And he caught this ball and then turned around and doubled up the first. And then we got the bases loaded in the ninth. Nobody out. They did. They had the bases loaded in the ninth. And Will McEnany comes in. He crosses me up. I call for a slider, and he throws a fastball. The game's over. I don't think I catch the ball. It goes back there, then the guy scores. Fred Lynn, you know, but swung at the bitch and then threw it, you know, popped it up to George in left field. George throws Denny Doyle out at home, and we get out of the inning. And then Pat Darcy pitched the 11th and pitched well, but we didn't have any pitchers left. Clay Kirby was arm. He couldn't even throw. And, uh, and Pat went to warm up in the 12th inning, and I was almost reaching for it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't getting there. It was just in the World Series. I mean, and so I looked over at Sparky and I said, "No chance that we're getting out of this inning." We didn't have any other, you know, recourse but to finish with it. And then, but you know, you know, you tell Red Sox fans, "Well, didn't you win that series with three games to four? Yeah, yeah." And they get it. They hated us. And then, of course, the next year we sweep the Yankees, and then they loved us. Yeah. Yeah. And and if some trades didn't happen, I mean, there's no reason it couldn't have kept going a long time after that, right? Well, I mean, but Bob Housen was the general manager, and it was free agent, see, and he said free agency will ruin baseball. That was his, so he wasn't going to do it. Now he was smart enough, but he was also involved with ownership. It's kind of a lot of a lot of people in Cincinnati. The only reason they let go of a Nichols to get a better grip. <laughs> so they're not going to spend they're not they're a little close to the money and that's all right my dad was like that i'm like that to a great extent but they just it just he wasn't going to go into it because we lost gullet at that time and then it started breaking apart and you know free agent pete tony uh, joe, joe and they traded yeah. tony which was the soul of our golf of our club and um yeah, it, it, you know, we go in 79, we, 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 you know, we, then the, there's the strike and we actually win more games. We don't get much credit. Right. And then by then it was all, you know, falling apart. And what was that like for you to, to see that break up and be the guy who stayed behind in Cincinnati? Well, I, by that time I was starting to, you know, in 80, I had to, I had to stop catching. All the nerve was so bad. Um, back was by that time, the, the accident was, you know, the injuries were the disc and all the stuff and Catching stenosis up. and all the stuff. And, I, you know, when you, I figure, we figure we caught about, I've been, I squatted about 450,000 times. And with all that combined with about 850,000 throws, then you kind of figure out, you know, the warranty runs out on your parts <laughs> and, and you fall apart. The other thing that I remember as a, as a kid was there weren't a lot of people that were, celebrities outside of the game but i remember like you were you were on like fifth third bank commercials and baseball bunch yeah like you were on other parts of the country yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, well i worked at it you know in 1970 after i won the mvp bob hope calls will you go on the the uso trip with us so i went out to burbank and go in the studios we start rehearsing thing about bobby's he wanted you to look good he wanted you to be funny he wanted everything to work and so that gave me, a, you know, already I was speaking, I was doing, uh, you know, I'd learned to speak in the Speaker's Bureau when I was in 67, 68 with the Reds. So I learned to go stand on your feet. And then I, they found out that I would go on and I would do stupid things like sing, you know, and uh, they would, you know, I could tell a story and I could do stuff. And so it was fun for them as well, you know, for the, because I did the Merv Griffin, I did Johnny Carson, I did Letterman, I did yeah. Dinah Shore, I did Jim Neighbors. He I did He Haw. <laughs> I went down there and played with Grandpa Jones and, and all of so them. And, and because I traveled the circuit, you know, you're playing yeah. golf with 
Glenn Campbell and Charlie Pride, you're doing this stuff. And, and in those days, then in 70, 71, after the MV, they, we started a show called Johnny Bench MVP. And the first guests were Willie Mays and, and Bob Hope. And so it started out and everything else. And it was, and then we don't, we get all the, the, the entertainers from, from Nashville. So I, I grew up with Big Bopper and Little Richard and Richie Valens and all them, but then it became, wow, this is really good music. And I became such a huge country fan, and I'd go play in the Daryl uh, Royal and Willie Nelson's tournament. I'd go to Nashville for them. They always had the music uh, war, uh, invitational tournament. And we'd sit there with Willie and Glenn and Charlie in the room afterwards until 2 or 3 in the morning, and they'd just be playing. And, you know, so we got to be just a natural thing. You know, and, you know, it, it was just, but people were different and they weren't the celebrity celebrities at that time. So I wasn't afraid to do anything. And but that was, it just, today it's like, it seems like that's part of an athlete's yeah, brand is like, you have to go out and find that sort of thing. But for you, it, it, it seemed new. Like, it seemed like you were like the guy. I wasn't afraid to do it. You know, and I was also, you know, first year I, First year I might played in '68. My first full year I made eleven thousand dollars. So, you know, I was rookie of the year, made twenty. I was MVP, made forty. I was MVP again, and made eighty. So, what would I do with thirty million dollars a year now? Oh, give me a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's work you. on this. So, but you would, you know, you had to make money. I mean, there was a, there was so many years that I was making more money in the off season because I was speaking to every major corporation. Uh, across America, and then I started with what I called I started the vowels of success, the AEIOUs of life, because I I ramble, I take off on a story, and then something else reminds me of something. And I now I don't know where I am as far as what I'm trying the message. So I did the AEIOUs of life. So I actually, I actually wrote a book called Catch Every Ball: How to Handle Life's Pitches. Because it, kids, people would come up there. My kids wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? I said, Catch every ball. Because then you learn the way to do it. And when you catch everything, people admire and respect you and say, boy, this guy's a great catcher. Well, it's like that in business. If you catch everything that people throw at you, yeah. and they're going to say, I can rely on this person. I don't care if you're a plumber, a lawyer, since he shirts. You come in and they've got you've got the answer for them. Yeah. And they start relying on you and then they say, this is really good. So I would ask friends of mine, what's your vows of success? You know, what mine's an A is an attitude. Some people aspire Bobby Knights was keep the assholes away from you, <laughs> and which in reality is the best best advice you could have. Yeah, because Gary McCord was the O was his circle of friends, so it's the same principle of what you're doing. So E for effort, my E is for effort. It's for excellence. It's A is for answers. So when you start talking, all of a sudden these things come up, and you have people write down them. I'll ask I'll ask the audience a lot of time. What what would be your A? I said answers. I went to the head of the school, the schoolmaster. And I said, would you give my kids the answers? He said, that's interesting. I used to put the answers on the, on the wall. I said, why are we hiding the answers? You take a test. The only thing important in a chapter is going to be three things, probably, that they want to get out of you. Because if you answer the questions at the end of the chapter or the teacher gives you a test, they're only looking for three things out of that. Why don't you tell these kids that? 25% of our kids drop out of high school. They go. Some of them go into what we have, the Youth National Guard, and they go into a, a camp, and they're treated like soldiers. They're cut their hair. They have to be on time. 75% of those graduate with a GED or a diploma. And, you know, trying to bet. But when you have a kid fail, they quit. 
because they get bullied in so many ways or they're embarrassed and they don't have any kind of esteem. So if we give kids the answers and then we go out and we said, okay, you've got algebra, you got math and now you got uh, algebra, trigonometry, geometry. What are we going to do? Why are we making them take something else? We got every machine in the world that gives you the amount of change you get back. We got every machine that you can push up. You got Siri and Google that you can answer any questions <laughs> right. in your life. Right. And so we don't we don't tell these kids. So instead of them not being good at math, let's put them in a science class. Let's put them in that. I have eighty four kids on scholarship here. I started a scholarship fund. I have eighty four kids on scholarship, and I I I really encourage them to go to Cincinnati State to learn a trade. College shouldn't be more than three years. You can't open a book and say, here, these are the things you're going to have to learn in your life. If right. you want to go beyond this, you need to study this. Right. And to give everybody an opportunity, three years, what, why are we paying all that money for whatever we're doing? Right. Give them the answers. They walk away feeling good about themselves. Let them, good open the something, yeah. Let them open the yeah. book. You want them to find stuff, open the book while you're having a test and says, go ahead and find it. If it's that important that we're going to take this with us, how do you buy insurance? How do you get a bank loan? How do you how do you deposit money? How do you things that are you know because all these doing I don't know I just you know we got these kids I'm not really happy. Well, how many people are happy that actually take their degree that they've earned from college and use it <laughs> in their field? And then they start and then they didn't start out at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars with a condo and everything else on a new sports car. Then they you know they'd rather find something else. There must be something else out there, right? Not not only I mean even if they were starting at zero, but probably the majority of them are starting with crippling. What if, what if you were loans. a plumber today, a plumber, electrician, or a mechanic? You think you can get a job? Yeah. How much could you make? More than that fifteen dollars an hour they're going to try to pay you. You know. Right. Here I am, and I started this because at seventeen I go to I want to go to college. Part of my signing bonus was a thousand dollars a year for eight semesters because I wanted to go to college. And so we kept playing, you know, instructional league, winter ball, doing stuff. But they would give me the $1,000, but I, I was never able to go to school. So, you know, I, here I am. I had to be a man overnight. I, they put that uniform on the minor leagues. I'm I got to be a man. And I had to mature overnight. And I tell the audience that I speak to, I said, it's not like your kids who have that four, five, six, or seven years they go to college to yeah. really mature sure, before yeah. they go to Europe for six months and then come back. To find out who they are, and then they come back and get a job at Outbacks. So I mean, it's like, you know, where do we start? Are you, you know, where did we all start? Yeah, we were worked our way up, but it was for, you know, but they want to start. Well, if I come in, I want to start at the top. I want. But see, I feel like again that goes back to the way you were brought up. You had that instilled in you of like you yeah. work, and then you're rewarded for the work that you do with a cheeseburger. Well, at 18 years old, I'm in Carolina League, and they said, "What? What? Are, what is your philosophy?" I said, "I fear the feel. I, I fear the failure, and it's the fear of failure that drives me. And it's not failing myself so much as failing all those people back home that yeah. believed in me and rep- oh, and I represent their parents. So but true. they pick up the newspaper. I mean, Johnny Bench caught in a drug sting. Johnny, you know, yeah. I mean, what would what would happen to them? And I think the only way to really be popular again is to get a weapons charge or get caught in a sting or something, you know. And then you're famous. And then everybody wants to have you in a commercial or do stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, I look at companies that hire some of these people and say, "Don't we have any morals? Don't we have anything that tells our kids?" You know, I did this "Say No to Drugs" campaign with with uh, Mrs. Nixon, and uh, I said, "But we're not sending that message." 
the message is it's okay to take drugs because turn on Johnny Carson and you'll find some Hollywood actor that just said, I just got out of Betty Ford. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm well. Well, you know, they don't say it's 10% chance of recovery and, and when you go to these places. Right. But it's just kind of like, it's look at these people. They're, they're back in their straw and they're doing everything they did before. And they don't see them hanging down on 3rd Street here. That's such a good point. What were you going to say, Darren? Oh, yeah. I mean, just everything's just so backwards now, it seems like. But, uh, yeah, all those all those problems and uh, people's issues, that's what that's what's so dang interesting. That's why you want to turn on the TV and, and listen to them. Well, why, why do they have all these but, cable yeah. shows? Oh, know? it's ridiculous. I mean, we're watching Kardashians. For what? You know, there's three words in life. Get over it. Yeah. Go on with it. Get your stuff over. Game's over. <laughs> You know, why my memory? Because I probably have seven to ten concussions. But I was a catcher, and the catching was I had to get that pitcher through the next inning. So it wasn't about that. And then the next game, it was about that. So that game was gone. I didn't retain it much. I didn't have, you know, you could play in the outfield or first base, and you could think about stuff, you know. And, you know, but as a catcher, you know, you're, you've got a responsibility. Are, do you still enjoy watching baseball? Do you keep up with baseball? Do yeah. you... Do you have opinions on baseball? Well, so many people come to me and say, what's wrong with the game? I said, you. <laughs> me? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm sitting at the, the banquet the other night. And I was a uh, great group, AAA, that sponsored and everything else. And they said, what's wrong with it? I said, you are. And he, I said, but I tell everybody. <laughs> why, why is that? And I said, because you get in the car. First thing you do is turn on sports talk radio. Sports talk radio doesn't talk about the flowery stuff. Right. They talk about negative, and they talk about what this guy is over for. He hadn't had a hit, no RBIs and everything else. So the only place we have in life to vent is at sports. Because you can't yell at your boss, you can't yell at your employees, you can't yell at your spouse, but you can buy a ticket, and you can go to the game and yell and say anything you want. You can call players everything. And as soon as you get the game, you, as soon as the guy comes out, of there, you suck, you die, and it's like, you know, and other people laugh around. Then they join in. It's kind of you know mob mob mentality in some ways, and you know it's like. But here you are, and then they're saying, "Well, yeah, but I you can't keep up with players. It's free agency, and that's a, that's really ruined it." And I said, "Hang on, just a second now." I just met your guys, your sales guys over there. That guy's been here two years. That guy's been here three years. That guy's been in eight years. <laughs> How long? Where where were you before you took this job? I said, "So you really." Somebody offered you a job and you took it somewhere else. How could you do that? Why didn't you have enough loyalty to stay with that other place and play for them? He said, okay, all right, you got me. He said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Everybody's a free agent. When it first came out, these reporters, they'd come out, this is ruining the game. I said, can I ask you if, if uh, ESPN called you, would you take the job? Well, yeah. I said, okay, so you're a free agent. Well, uh, I, mean, I, I said, it doesn't matter, matter what you're going to say now. Because you've already told me that you're a free agent. You'll take the ne next best job, and somebody will pay you more. So if somebody comes in, you get an agent. The agent tells you, first of all, you're underpaid, you're underappreciated, you'll be better at this. And your family. Now it's your family that, you know, you got to be close to your family. you got a job. you got a responsibility. You signed the contract. Get out on the field and play. <laughs> Toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> I, John Smoltz, a, a 
when he was giving his Hall of Fame induction speech, was talking about the the way kids are playing baseball today and how upset he is that you know it's the travel teams and it's the year round and it's ruining kids' arms and stuff like that. And I'm kind of at that point with my son of you know, like I said, he's seven, he loves the game, but and and I you know maybe I'm biased, but I feel like he's he's better than the other kids his age that I've seen play. Do you think kids can make it a career in baseball without that? Like, this is going to be your thing when, you, when you're seven, seven years old? You got to dedicate to it at that point, or is it, is it that kind of competition? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I see you, what you. I was the baseball team where my kid boys go to school in uh, and Jupiter, and well, they, the schools in Jupiter, and they're saying a lot of a lot of teams will not even let you try out unless you play travel ball. So it's kind of like you you had to do the minor leagues to do the major, they think the majors or whatever it is. Yes. And it's like, you know, let's say I was up in Madison, Wisconsin for a fundraiser for uh, the Carbone uh, Cancer Center and uh, up at the Dells. And, you know, it's it's just a matter of the fact of Wisconsin's not going to really recruit five-star athletes. You know, it's not some place they really yeah. want to go. It's not game. So they take yeah. the best athlete. <laughs> they take kids that have played all three sports. But now these coaches now in high school, they want you. They only play one sport. You know, you're not. You know, you know yeah. Few of them, one of them, every now and then. How much are you playing? I mean, how much is your? Are you learning the principles? Are you throwing the ball against the wall? Are you doing stuff on the side? You know, that's all you need to do. You yeah. can practice throwing. Because I don't want to burn him out on it. Don't. That's my biggest. You're fear. the man. Yeah. You're just you're answering I, I want your own him question. To love it, you know what I mean. Is he playing other sports? Yeah, he's playing soccer. But you know, I tell people all the time, I'm maybe I'm the the optimist, you know, when it comes to you know watching the Reds when they're not good. You know, I'm the guy who's watching a West Coast game in extra innings when they're 20 games out of first in September. But what what I tell people now is, as much as I want to see him win. When I'm at the game with my son and he's having fun, that's all that I really care about in the end. I mean, I want him to win, but I want him to develop the same love of the game that I have because of my dad taking me to games, you know, when the Reds weren't putting up crazy numbers. And well, that's dominating. what I tell the people there. I said, why do you like minor league baseball so much? Because you go to the game, buy a beer and a hot dog, and you sit there and watch the game. You take your son to watch the game. You don't try to say this guy here can't hit, this guy doesn't. So it's the negatives that always are the things that affect him. You're so right. At seven years old, he's fine. At 12 or 13, he may want to play a little more. And probably his body may let him play a little more. Yeah. And he can he can catch up. It's not like those five, six years missing. If he plays and hits and taking the batting gate. And, you know, you don't have to throw, have the machine at 90 miles an hour. you got to learn rhythm. you got to have the start and the flow. Then you start, you know, build it up, and as soon as that rhythm is, now you can start throwing harder, and now you can start to catch them, and so you build up. It's like people who play tennis. You ever have, you ever play tennis with a guy who had this hundred mile an hour serve or hundred and twenty mile an hour serve? You couldn't you never touched it? Then all of a sudden, after about twenty, they slowed the ball down. And then all of a sudden, you adjust it, and that's the adjustment they're going to make when they get to that point. If he learns the skills, the fundamentals, you know, he's always going to be able to play. And play home run derby a lot, yeah. You know all this, all this creation. So that point one seven seconds we talked about, your brain says I got to stay inside the ball. There's no way to hit the outside the ball. There's no <laughs> way for your hands to be outside the ball and hit a ball. And then I'm talking to a kid down there the other day, and he's talking about the 
plane and he's talking about this and he, I launch said, angles and oh <laughs> and it was like you know if you slow that brain down to think and it goes oh, you know all of a yeah. sudden you're you know 78 and you're 33 and you're, <laughs> and so everything just slows down that point now you start fouling balls over the dugout instead of being able to you know hit, pick the ball and you stand up there and I'm, I'm not going to swing at a pitch because I'm not going to do this I'm not going to do that you know, you got to run around base. I don't care what you got to do. What Tony Perez say? My dad say all the time: see the ball, hit the ball. See the ball. <laughs> and my dad easy. watch the ball out of his, you know, bypass his ear. I always talk about rhythm. You know, if you if you just watch in one space in the top of the liver, then you're you're staring at something to get there. Right. If if I do this, see your your eyes are following <laughs> the motion here. Yeah. And your brain is starting to do it. It's like boom. I, yeah. You can't do. Couldn't do a thing about it. But if I went like this to him, all of a sudden he's starting to go back a little bit. Right. So your brain has to do it. That's preparing for the pitch and getting into a position where you can react. So yeah, you know, if your kid's talented, you know, I tell all the kids, you know, get your education, get something, find something that you. But if you love something, go ahead and play it. If you like to try something, do it. You know, participate. What do you, and don't what have do you to get a participation trophy. <laughs> you know, Justin Justin got hit in a, by a pitch. And then he fielded a ground ball, hit him in the face. Then he got thrown a thrown ball, hit him in the eye. How old? He was nine at the time. Okay. And he got gun shot. Happened to my oldest son, Bobby. He got hit. And it's, it's something you have to get over. So I said, okay, you don't have to play right now. And Little League to me. And I and I we were out in uh, Palm Springs when we were playing at that time, and uh, I, I and all of a sudden it was kids pitch. I said, "Don't do this, don't do this. These kids can't throw." Out. You know, the first game before kids got hit. And don't do this. Get the machine. Let them learn to hit and develop something, and then they and start and the field. And then when you get a kid that's capable of throwing strikes, that's fine. But they're spending most of the time ducking up there. <laughs> What does that do? Right. And I, so now I got, you know, when Bobby first played at Summit, there were three teams. Next year was one. Those kids wouldn't want, didn't want to play. Yeah. Justin wants to play soccer. You know, he's he's got to mature enough. And then he's going, and now he's starting to throw and pitch. Josh wants to be, my Joshua, he wants to be player owner. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and he's so talented and so, so skilled, but he just doesn't Skip have it. You know, and he, made, he doesn't have it yet. You know, and he may get it, but they're bright as hell. Ping pong, we play really soccer. You know, go out in the out on the course when it's uh, late, throw wiffle balls, and they and they love the idea of doing that. I just want them to be kids right now. That's so good. And That's so it's it, important. So at you know ten or eleven or twelve, thirteen, all of a sudden, go down. We'll put put them into your murals and let them develop the skills. <laughs> Josh, I said you're you're doing basketball. And he's out there dribbling. He's dribbling. I said, he got to dribble left-handed, too. He's dribbles. And he's shooting. He's great. And so I said, so he dribbles and he stops. And I said, okay, you can't dribble again. You're going to have to find somebody to pass to. So we go to the camp. So, okay, here's what you're doing. And we're going to play a little a scrimmage game. And a kid dribble, pick up the ball, run eight steps, dribble, pick up, run down, make a layup. And Josh said, Dad, they're not, they're not supposed to do that. I said, no, they're not. Well, we'll start. We're going to maybe fun next time. It'll be the fundamentals about what you can't do. This, this is what you have to do. And he said, "I'm not going. They, they're not going to. They're not going to play." I said, "That's fine. If you're cool with it. That's yeah. fine." And Justin, you know, great at soccer, great feet, great, you know. But it's an application you have to have. 
And I, you know, how do you push them? How do you make them this or that? I don't, I don't know if there is a way, you know, they got to love it. And if they love it, support it. So one of the things now everybody talks about baseball, not catching up to the other sports in terms of evolving. Evolving? Yeah. Evolve. You know what I mean. Underhanded. Do you, is there, is there anything about the game that has changed since you played that you wish would go back or, or are there things in the game now that you think should be changed? There's just blocking home play. You can't block home play, but you can't take them out at seconds. You can't do, I mean, that's roadhouse the game. These kids are so good today and they built Paul Park small so they could hit it out so they could get people through the game because they wanted, you know, they got the designated hitter so they could have offense. Because the National League was way ahead of them. They were the Junior League. Then they got the guys. Then they had, you know, extra guys that couldn't really play defensively, but they could still hit and they were still in position. And so they wanted to create the offense and they wanted more players. Cost them more because they have to pay now another guy to come up and be a hitter and it cost them more. The game's great. I mean, we just. It is great. It is great. I'm just. I'm not speaking. Have you got ideas? Because I'll listen to all the ideas. I mean. No, the opposite. I wanted to. I had a question for you I wanted to ask. Uh, People always talking about, and they listen to the Indians games, they always talk about, uh, you know, we're doing things to speed the game up. We've got to speed the game up. And yeah, I guess you don't want the catcher going to the pitcher's mound, like, after every pitch. I get that. But why do we have to speed the game up? That's what's great about the game. You can sit and enjoy it. You know? When I played, started, commercials were 45 seconds. That's how much you have between every inning. Then all of a sudden, you had to start paying it. So they became two minutes and 20 seconds. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, we got, an, uh, let's just say, a minute and a half yeah. extra every half inning. So you got three minutes every inning. So nine times three, 27. Yeah. So you got a, you got a two-hour and 40-minute game, which people like. They would go for that two and a half. Let's just say it's two and a half. Now it's three. If it's 245, it's 315. So it's taking longer. These guys step out and look for a sign. What the hell are you looking for a sign of 2-0 and o for? <laughs> adjust, your, adjust your glove, adjust your cup, do the stuff, yeah. go through the regular rhythm. But now they've been trained so much by the cybermetrics that you this guy will throw probably tendency is to throw this pitch and this. And so they have to go through the, you know, the computer mind that says, okay, now I can go in. Now I take them deep in the count. If you, t- you know, some, some hitting coaches want you to the pitcher to get the guy to throw a lot of pitches. Well, if there were certain guys, you would want them to pitch, throw a lot of pitches. There, but you know, you stood up there, and now let's take the first strike. Why? I was with the, or, uh, I was with Tony Perez with the Marlins game, and they hadn't scored a run in twenty-eight innings. I said so, and I'm down there in the middle of them. I said, well, what do you guys look for the first pitch? Oh, we take the first pitch. I said what? So the pitcher knows you're taking the first pitch, so he throws a strike. Now you're one. Now you're down zero and one. Right. So the, the numbers just went down, okay? Now they can start nibbling at the corners. Now they can make them right. chase their pitch. So if you get aggressive and you go up there and you zone somebody in the first and it's between a two feet and the middle of the plate in, you can, you can go after it. I said, what, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we take that approach? They scored 11 runs that game. Just with a different offensive mind. Why are we defensive? I mean, can you speed it up? Yeah. Make them, you know, they're doing it in the Meyer Leagues. I go down to the Meyer League games down in, uh, you know, in Abaco and West Palm. And uh, they've, got a, they've got a pitch clock. And the manager in the Meyer Leagues can go to a total of 12 between the coach and the, man, and, the, and the catcher. Then it goes to eight. Then it goes to six. Then it goes to five. So, you know, some pitching coaches, some managers were going out and trotting out and everything else. But And the thing that really, really kills me is that, as soon as the manager comes out of the dog, dugout and starts crossing the white line, gets halfway to the mound, the umpire starts walking out. Yeah. I'm trying to help this guy. Yeah. I'm trying to say something to him that will save this game. 
and the umpire is going to go out. If you're going to limit it, at least let them talk. What do you got? Let's we we need to go. Why? The umpires are going to, you know, they're 80 pounds overweight anyway. Yeah. Well, they got to go get another meal. <laughs> and I, I say that because they're not, they're in great shape and there's some good kids. But Well, not only do you have that commercial breaks between all the innings, but yeah. now you've got eight guys in the bullpen and you might have a pitcher come in to face one batter and it's going to oh, be yeah. a commercial break specialized, when he's done. Specialized, and specialized, specialized. Yeah. It's okay. We make six pitching changes. Give me a guess on how long it takes for a pitching change. Three, it's, four it's minutes. It's got to be, yeah, yeah. Four, five, at five. least yeah. that. Okay, much. so if you if let's just say it's four minutes and you got six guys, it's another just, half hour. We've already solved the problem. I know. <laughs> you know what? Get Rob Manfred on the phone. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Do you think the Reds can compete with the out of salary cap in baseball? They spend the money. They got to spend money, but they have to develop within. Yeah, for sure. You know, I told Mr. Gasoline five years ago when it all started, I said, you got to get the best scouts. you got to get the best farm system. We've absolutely done nothing. We've developed throwers. We don't have pitchers. We don't have sinkers. We don't have cutters. We don't have anything. We don't have the best change-ups when they come up to the big leagues. I mean, just last last two nights, who've, who have they had? Ponce de Leon and Gompers. Yeah. Who are those? Major League debuts. Tell me, oh, tell me about it. Now, what did they do? <laughs> no no hitters into oh, the seventh Oh, really? <laughs> so they actually could pitch? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. About, I was My neighbor is a diehard Cardinals fan, and he was over last night. We were listening to the game, and he went to the game with me on uh, on Monday for Ponce de Leon's debut. And I said, it's a, it's a organizational thing. The Cardinals, not even just the pitchers, but their players – when they get called up from AAA, they look like they are ready to be there. I know, I know, <laughs> it's shocking, but but it it does make you wonder because you see these guys that you know they're they're so highly touted and you know they're like the top prospects at A ball, but why aren't they? Why have they dropped by the time they get well, the well, AAA the ball? Because they haven't developed down in the minor leagues for fifteen years. And you don't do it. Somebody's got to tell somebody, which I did a few thousand times. <laughs> Let's get somebody down there. Let's send Mario down there. Let's and Mario now is a part of it. We got Rovers now. They're going down there. Eric Davis, you know, and showing him things. I mean, you look at the Red Sox also and the Twins, and you see those kids come up there, and man, they get up at the plate. Mechanics, they're they're ready. They go to spring training. They you know they don't want you to talk to anybody before. Really, Regelman's called out. Called us and said, "You guys do whatever you want." Really? Because his coach would get like, you know, we're working on stuff, and we'd go to the, I'd go to the cage, and no, oh, no, we're working on something. And I went down to the Meyer leagues, and a buddy of mine named uh, Adrian Garrett, we called him Smokey, and he was the minor league hitting instructor. And I went down, and they're, he's they're hitting off the tee, which is crapola, and so <laughs> they're hitting off the tee, and the tee's on the plate. And I looked at Smokey, I said, "What are they, what are they doing with? The, they hit the ball out, you know, you hit the ball out front." He said, "What they do?" What the organization sets down. So you got people. We've had people. We've had a, a college guy, and that's not saying you know he doesn't know how to hit, but you know what's his approach, what's he's doing. I think I can, you know, Eric. I think George. All yeah. these guys have yeah. pretty good ideas, of course, about what they're doing and the discipline they have and what you're doing. I mean, and that's to, what the Cardinals we used to do. Throw lob, we used to throw lobs. You know, our our batting practice was Joe Nuxall, and they'd be throwing balls up there, and you'd be rhythm, and you'd be pounding everything else. You know, until the Washington All-Star Game, a home run derby. Somebody said, did you ever play home run derby? Did you ever have that? I said, yeah, every game. <laughs> <laughs> Batting practice, you know, you'd lay two down, hit it to get him get him over, you know, hit and run, get him over, 
And then we'd see how many windows we could break in Chicago. We'd hit them across the, we were hitting them over in the, across the street and everything else. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, Tom Browning, uh, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about live BP and how they don't do it anymore. Well, and watch where they're throwing from now. They're throwing from 30 feet. Yeah, yeah. And so they can say, we got the velocity. So here I am, you know, they're throwing it like this. And it's not like it's not like you're yeah. winding up and you know here we go and spinning and doing something. I talked to a young catcher, Sally. You want to meet me? He lo- I, well, I, I I look for the ball away. I said you do. What about the first pitch? I mean, not. No, I I said so. You can handle the ball away, but let me say you now the ball in. You're gonna have, may have a little problem with unless they hang the slider. I said, but you're gonna do that. I said, why wouldn't you look for the ball in and then you can extend out. Right and 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 just explain that and I'm sitting in the in the club in the clubhouse with uh, Ricky Stowe in his office and he's the equipment man and we just he's one of the great kids because he's the son of yeah. Bernie and Mark's down there and Buddy Bell's and there were sitting there and I said you know I said you know I told him I said <coughs> look for the curveball but he said what I said I looked curveball because I could adjust to the fastball because the curveball you're just thinking that and now it's curveball you got it if it's fastball boom there we go. He yeah. said, you're the only guy I've ever heard say it. My dad told me I was having trouble with the curveball. He said, look for the curveball. He said, and I did. And that's the way I learned to hit. Beat every situation. Yeah, in high school, we were we were all having trouble hitting pitches inside. And so our coach had a stand, you know, the we had the wooden bleachers that would press up yeah, against sure. the wall. He'd have a stand super close to those bleachers with an aluminum bat and we had to swing and keep our hands inside because if you didn't you would oh the you hands were hit. inside oh the old hands inside <laughs> they're outside see that's why coach was so smart get your hands outside the ball and like uh, but it helped. I mean, like, it sounds silly but little things like that help it if does. the right person sees what you're doing you play wrong. golf well, I try. You've well, seen. I mean, but see, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, well, okay. Anyway, uh, but if you you can go to how many different pros? I'll stand out there with you, and I'll tell you. Why don't you try this? Well, six other pros told you the same thing. I just told you different. Right. I got something that. Oh, so here's I I play with people on, the, and I I've had all the instruction. I've no I know as much about golf as anybody probably is. You know I've been with Mulgrady. I've been with McCord. I've been with I've been with McLean. I played with Trevino. I played with Nicholas. I played with Palmer. And so I like how these are all can, just little as yeah. <laughs> If you swing Trevino. the baseball bat, you have a baseball bat. Here yeah. you go. Stand here. I said swing, swing. All right, start swinging lower. Start swinging lower. The only thing that changes is the hips are this way in baseball and they're this way. So I'm lo- I'm going level, and then now it's at a, at a 45 or close to that angle. I said, if you just swing the same way, now I'm just changing my plane, you can hit the ball. But why are you going to do this? Whereas I was a doctor friend of mine, and I give him less. He's a plus two. But he always is asking me, which I want you to help. What am I trying to do here? He said, I, what I'm, I want to take this club away, and I want to do it, and I'm trying to get figure out whether I should do this or this. And I said, where do you want it at the top of the backswing? Well, I want it here. I said, well, take it up there. <laughs> what does it matter if you go this way and over here, if you go this way and up here? It doesn't really matter if you want to get it to, because Tom Watson would stand there when he walked out on the range, and he would look at his hands. Because the brains don't, brains quits working with the body when you're 17. They don't coordinate together. So you have to tell your brain what you want it to do. So if I hold it here, I know that's where I want it. So I, you know, I'll take it up here. 
You know, how do I get it up there? It doesn't matter how you get it up there. Just right. get it up here. As as it now you're going to go. And if you go over here and you're on balance and you have the finish, the swing, and just practice finishing the swing, I say looking pretty because you're opposing, the club will go in a circle. So if you just do that, the club has to go in a circle. I got it here. I'm going to take it over here because everybody else had positions. So you, you teach people the way they might be able to learn. I would work with a company called Computer Associates. My job was to teach the women how to play golf. And these are women that never swing a club. But because I'd work with Mac O'Grady, I would stand there and I'd make them get the grip. Then I'd say, okay, we're at position one. Now we're going to go to two. Right there. Put it back here straight back. Right there. Hold it right there. Now go back to one. Go to two. Now we're going to three. is just almost halfway up to the top. And up to four is up at the top. Of it. Hold it right there. Now go back to two. Back to four. Take it back to one. Now take it to four. I said, okay, now five, six is where two was on the way down. Seven is the impact. Eight is over here. So the thumb's towards here. And we've got, if we turn around and face it and square, the club is square. And then all you do is just break it up. And so I would take these women for five minutes and I would make them go through the positions. I said, all right, go, go to two. Now go to four. Now go to eight. Nothing, they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything responded to. All they knew was what they did. <laughs> Women who had never hit a golf ball, I had them teed up across the, the, the old uh, driving range. And they hit it first swing. I've trained the brain to do what I'm doing. I know where two is. I know where eight is. Yeah. And it never gets in the way. So, you know, you teach a hitter. You might go up here. Why don't you change your grip, Your you know, the hands? Because you're pushing. You've got the palms. You're holding the ball bat like this. This is a push. I'm working with Costelli. And I said, let me, hear the, let me hear the speed of your swing. Slow. I said, I don't hear any whoosh at all. And you know why you're doing it slow? Because you drop your hands. You drop your hands here, and then you have to push it. I said, keep the hands high. Keep them high, and then drive. <laughs> I said, that's all it is. Just like that. It's hard. What I mean, do these hard. guys say? Like, what do these guys say? Well, you know, it has you... to work. You know, it has to work. Sure. You know, and... You know, but they've been ingrained with so many different things and so many philosophies, and they don't know how to hit, and their dad knows how to hit, and their agent knows how to hit. <laughs> Everybody knows how to hit, and how they apply it. Then they never realize they, they're never going to catch up anyway. You know, they're going to hit 220, 230. I mean, we're all, there's greater and lesser people than all of us. So get used to that. If you start comparing yourself, you're going to wind up behind. All you do is you go out there and you say, I can't outthrow him. Oh, here's a guy who throws harder than that. I said, well, work on the mechanics and doing stuff. Work on catching the ball, changing the transfer, watching your feet, doing your stuff. Do it repetitiously. I mean, it's not in the weight room, boys. Right. You know, they get there at 1130 now, and they, and they don't have any place else to go, really, but they got luxury clubhouses. They've got kitchens and everything else they can feed. And I said, but, you know, great being in shape, but don't get so tight that you can't do it. Don't be so fat that you can't go out there. And hit off a tee, there's nothing to do that. Get this rhythm. Get somebody just dropping the ball and everything else and all the stuff that they go through. Who's your favorite player to watch right now? Probably Mike Trout. Yeah. And uh, Altuve. I like the Bregman kid. I like uh, Arenado. I watch a lot of kids. I mean, I I don't watch as much. I mean, I'm a box box score guy. Yeah. So, I mean, last night I'm looking at the box scores. No hits, I didn't have to look at the box score. (laughs) So, now I go and see what, you know. And we've had the Johnny Bench Award, which is the college catcher of the year. Right. And we've had that in Wichita. And for everybody, we're announcing that this award will be here next year. 
starting next year. You're going to give it away so here? We're going to bring it here. That is awesome. Sweetie. And what we're going to do is we're going to now, I, what I wanted to do for a while, we're going to include the women's softball player, college catcher of the year. And we were looking at different variances, and I and I and we met with Phil Castellini and his and all the great people down there with Charlie and Jerome and Marie and you know and uh, Karen and, and they're all in, and which is great That's because we're great. going to share the money that we make money with the scholarship fund, my scholarship fund, and the and the and the community fund for the Reds. That's great, and I we're going to have clinics. Community and I said, I looked at my, my son Bobby. I said, how about if we do a high school catcher of the year of Ohio? Now, we're obviously Reds country, so I knew, you know, okay, we can include. But I had to get a feel of what they wanted, you know, as well, because I wanted to present it when I thought they were in. And I said, here's an idea. How about if we make it Reds country catcher of the year? So we include West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. (laughs) Well, we're going to keep it in four states and and do that. And that's, that's fine if it comes to that. But you take one from each state because I want to have a dinner where everybody comes. And, you know, has a good time and we pass out awards and they get, they get recognized as a catcher of the year. And so we're, I'm really excited about That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. We may have, we may have to comedian. <laughs> I never know if you have to have a comedian. That's, wow. That's, you heard it here first, guys. You actually did. Yeah. <laughs> You'll keep it, keep it a secret. No, <laughs> just between us and 4,000 listeners. Yeah. <laughs> What's what's next for you? You're a single dad. Got uh, custody of the boys for 38 weeks. And it's uh, six o'clock. Wake up at six thirty. Get them up six forty. The omelets and the and the cereal and everything else. And seven ten, we're in the car, and I pick them up at two forty five, and we're in the pool. We're doing homework. We're doing you know some sports, and we're doing whatever. And and I'm I'm really lucky too that their grandparents have moved there, and uh, bought a house in there. They beg me, when, when are you going out of town? Well, I'm just about retired. I mean, I'm just as far as appearances. Sometimes I, I'll make one that's close enough I can fly after I take them to school, do the event that night, and then come back the next day. So yeah. in California, it was three days. You know, I had to, it used three days to do one appearance. Sure. So, and I, I still do my, you know, I helped raise about $3 million last year for abused women and children for the, or, you know, Hope for the Warriors and we Children's Charity Classic, which you're great enough to come to. Down in Lexington, it's the best event I've ever been a part of. Pretty amazing. It's uh, it's incredible. So I I'm still involved in that, and uh, I still have a little bit of the Blue Emu. I, we're ending the contract, but we're, we're negotiating. I've got uh, actually, you're not old enough. Maybe you are. Remember the Krylon ads? Yeah, no yeah, no yeah. yeah. <laughs> and actually Valspar, and I know the I know the CEO really well, and they were kidding about maybe we'll bring it back, and they actually might bring it back. So that, and I'm involved with a, with a company that uh, we do we do self-chilling cans. So we've already had a great reaction. We've already done some uh, private labeling for uh, 7-Eleven, which was the coffees. We've got, like, you take your, your can or or whatever beer. We'll, you know, beer will be out, and we've already got Jägermeister. So you turn, twist the bottom of the, of the can, of the container, and it goes from 80 to 40 in 50 seconds. Wow. So <laughs> you'll be great for your golf course beer. Yeah. You know, whenever you're doing it, if you're going, you know, tailgating, if you're going fishing, if you're going to do it. And it even has the ability, which we'll do for Europe, is, uh, you know, because a, a lot of countries don't have ice. And it will continue to chill, you know, as as you after you open it. It, it wasn't like you're, you know, this is warm now, yeah. the drink. 
but it'll continue to chill. And we've <laughs> this got is amazing. <laughs> so someone just approaches you with that, or how's that? I've met this guy out? 17, 18 years ago, and I've just been a cheerleader for him. We're building a three hundred thousand square foot manufacturing plant up in Youngstown, and there's one in uh, Irving, California, wow. and we'll later on build one down in Florida. But uh, it's so fun, it's so you know to see that. And but in third world countries that don't you know. London, I mean, England, they like their beer warm, right? Yeah. So we'll just adjust it just a little bit so it goes to 60. <laughs> so they're not. <laughs> there you go. You got it all. Sorted. <laughs> yeah. Try to think of everything like you guys do here at Cincy sure. Shirt. Let's yeah. Talk about Cincy Shirts. Tell us about Cincinnati a little bit. Just just being in Cincinnati in the 70s, like what were your favorite bars and nightclubs and uh, that kind of stuff? I mean, you had your own restaurant with the home plate. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're limited as to what you can do. You know, there's people that sure, don't. Sure, you guys you know, have fun? Yeah, but there's still, you know, yeah, you have to understand there are people that don't like you, you know, and they, they're they jealous of you. You go to a, a party or you go somewhere and the girlfriend says, oh, there's Johnny Bench. Well, immediately the guys, you know, or he starts, you know, he does this or they say things to you at the bar or they start to try to start some. I mean, I hit two home runs, rolling in five runs. I go to the go out to the restaurant and bar. Hey, I saw you pop up and hitting that double play. But, you know, 50,000 people go to the same game. Yeah. 25,000 leave happy and 25,000 leave sad. And there's just people. You go you go to foreign cities, you know, and they boo you and they call you names and they don't like you because you're beating their team. And it was like and people would say, oh, you shouldn't let that booing bother you. And I said, okay, go into the office tomorrow and have two or three people stand up and boo. Just boo you as you go by. You suck. And then go in your office, come back out, and they and other, they start booing again. Tell me how many times you're going to get back, come out of the office. Now you're going to get in early before they get there, and you're not going to come out of the office because all of a sudden that booing shouldn't bother you. We're you know so the inner circle was the place in the old days. That's way past you, and it was up on Vine Street. My buddy uh, Pete Georgeson, he watched after me. I had a had a had a had a bouncer there named Dace, and he was like monster and and but i was their pet you know i was the guy they watched out for so nobody really got into it and then of course we had the precinct uh lucian but we really didn't do a whole lot i mean it really wasn't i never went across the river because that was really not allowed when i first got here because there was nothing but trouble across the river you can only you know yeah and so we <laughs> we really <laughs> we really didn't you know, trouble across it the wasn't river. a place that you went you went out and i always went with my my buddies because I always had protection, and I and I say protection in the fact that I had that spacer. You know, you go in and sit at the bar, and some guy say, "Anybody drink?" I said, "No, I just I'm having just this one. I'm meeting some people." Well, you want, and they want to talk to start talking baseball. I don't want to talk baseball. I don't. They don't have to know everything. But I knew you were an asshole. You know, even things like that. And then you know, here's the guy that you, you, he's your biggest supporter. And then all of a sudden, it's like that. And I said, and so you go with people. And I had a group of guys and. I guess I had the original posse, but we just all knew to meet, and we had a lot of fun. We just, you know, and but we, I was told when I was seven, eight, eight, 17 years old by a guy named Lenny Moore that said, son, you're going to be a good player. He said, but three things you're going to have to do. Make sure, watch the liquor, watch the women, and make sure you have your sleep. And, you know, and it was, and I always did. I mean, we were, we were good about you know, our curfews and everything else. I don't, I probably was outside of curfew maybe, I don't know, six, eight, ten times. And then, 
Yeah. Did you like the restaurant business, or was that your? Was that just something that seemed like a well, logical well, you know, move? You know, to, Jeff was Jeff was on the precinct, and I had to, uh, first of all, I had the home plate. Yeah, and that ran really well. Then we built a home stretch, which was over in Kentucky, which took all the money we made off the home plate. So, I mean, all I had to do was go out and glad hand, and people were great. You know, you know, it's the first five words out of people's mouth is, "Can I have your autograph?" It's not like you know. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And or can I get a picture? Now I'm just pictures. I don't, you know, eighty percent of all autographs are sold or traded. So you don't really. It's not what you mean. It's what you're worth. And so you know, I'm not. I I turn people down. You know, you're sitting there having dinner. People come over. Can I get your autograph? And I said, Well, just, as soon as I'm done here eating. Well, we're leaving. I said, Well, why didn't you come over while you were eating? Yeah. You can upset people and do it. And it really doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know, to to do that if people are that way, and and I've made you know I haven't signed as much as some people or some as much, but I have an autograph that you can read. I could put three JB and just you know. I'm go telling on. you, I'm not <laughs> just blowing smoke because you're here, man. That is a gorgeous signature. Because <laughs> I get you know I'm into that. I mean that's my thing is is memorabilia and, and my. When's best. the last time you got an autograph and you take the ball home and you're like, who is this? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, don't even know. Yeah, yeah. I played Kershaw all year and a half ago here, and he said. Can, and he sent the guy, well, can we get you a ball sign? He said, I, I sign it. And I said, well, I got to have a sign ball sign with you. So I take the ball over and he goes, holy crap, you can read it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Fun. I'm in a I'm in a Reds memorabilia group on Facebook. Bobby's in there too. And every day people are like, whose signature is this? <laughs> I still do it to my, you know, the memorabilia people I work with. I have to send a signature. You know, there's something for, on, you know, they're trying to sell this ball. And I, I send a picture and I say, who is this? And they say so and so. He'll know it because he's dealt with it. But I have no. That's clue. amazing. But. So when we wrap up here, we ask our guest to give us a word, any word that you want that best describes you or that you like, and that word will be a twenty percent off coupon for people to use on our. Get site. out! Of, I get. I can get twenty percent. Yeah. Oh, if people come in and use yeah. the word or on the, or the website. Right. So what would what would you think? That, what's a good coupon code word? Well, Johnny, I mean, what else would there be? Catcher. Love it. All right. There perfect. you go. All right. Got it. The greatest coupon code of all time. Yep. There we go. Just, <laughs> you, know, and we'll, uh, you know, there's uh, catch every ball, you know, that's handle life's pitches, you know, because you, you got to know what you're doing, how to do it. And Can people still buy that book? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually done by Orange Frazier had the book and it's, it, I don't know if it's still on Amazon, but uh, it's uh, Orange Frazier. Dot com and I guess you know they still have some and everything else people still have we take it to some of our events and and uh, people like it's really easy easy we'll, read we'll reach out and see if we can get some real to sell in the stores and, yeah, and we'll it, put it, in our stores real sure. easy read but it you know people like it you know it's 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 got something that you know I'm when you're done with this I'd like for you guys to put your A B E I O use of life because it's going to be what would be an A uh, I like attitude. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got anything? E, O, I mean. Anticipate. Okay. I mean, fine. Oh, but that's what they do. And then you start doing it. And then all aspiring. You know, aspire to inspire before you expire, some people say. So, you know, but the I is the individual. Be the best individual, best player. You take the best individuals each position. You got a group here. So he's going to run this. You can't do that. So he's the best individual you got. And then he's going to answer the questions and you're going to sit over and you know, and, and do your computer. Well, all of these things together, people out front. I mean, how often are you looking for people who are sales? 
how people greet people when they walk in, how they're doing. So you have the best individuals in each position. If you have a car dealership, you get the best, get a good car. Then you get the best sales guys. Then you get the just general manager. Then you get the best, you know, service guys and the parts. And all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about it. You got the best people doing the and filling in and knowing. And so the genius of a person is leaving behind a situation that the other person without the benefit of genius can still do the job. And so you're the leader that does it, and you put these people in. Man, going you could apply yeah. that logic to anything. Yep, for sure. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's what it is every day. I mean, it's you know, but your I'm your anticipation. I mean, I know when people. I know what people are going to do before they do it, because there's tells and everything else. Maybe I should start playing poker. Poker. Yeah, Why go. not? You're a pro at everything <laughs> else. Right? Hey, uh, Johnny, thank you for your time. Yeah, and thank you so for much. your friendship and partnership with us. And uh, when does the 20% start? Because I want to go out in the shop and say catcher. <laughs> I know a guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, use catcher. Uh, for as soon as this episode airs, it'll be live. And then uh, catcher will get you 20% off in-store and online. Uh, until the next episode comes out, so uh, I want I want you to start getting some boxer shorts. I think boxer shorts would be cool. We'll work on that. We'll get her. You know, <laughs> pig out. It's be, a how about pig out or something? And you're on social media, right? People can follow you. Yeah, Johnny underscore Bench Five, and Instagram uh, and Twitter and everything. Yeah, Bobby's Bobby. You know, I text Bobby and Bobby puts it in there. And Bobby every now and then we talk about something. And he said, or he'll say, send me pictures and I'll do it and I'll tell him. You know. And a lot of times he draws up old pictures of what it has, yeah. and, and he sends it, who's this? And it was me fishing with Steve Christmas down in spring training. We had so much rain. We've got, <laughs> we've got poles, and we're doing it in the infield. we had so much water. We're just, we're just casting and practicing. And it's just fun stuff that we've done. We've yeah. got, I've got about 75,000 followers. So, fo- so if you don't already, nice. follow Johnny Bench online. And, uh, man, thank you again for being here. Yeah, cool. I mean, a lot of people awesome. like the Medal of Honor winners that were at the All-Star game. And I said, I, got, I want to meet that. I'd like to meet those. He said, well, they're in the suite. They're going to be in the suite next to us. And so I walked over and I said, hello. And he, I said, I just want to say thank you very much. I'm Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench, come here, guys. You know, I had all 29. I mean, took pictures and did the stuff. And it just, you know, it's uh, it's just, you know. Well, we'll post on the blog. We'll post all the, the uh, all you. the links to everything. Yep. And uh, and we'll certainly be following along when the, when the award comes here next year. That's amazing news and uh yeah man. well you may guys may have to be involved because you might have to print up stuff you know yeah, Twist my sounds arm. like you need some shirts there you go. Yeah. <laughs> all, all right sure. we'll catch you later sir catch you later. <laughs> Thank you. thanks guys Johnny Bench, how about that, baseball fans? Of course, we have loads of Johnny Bench shirts at Cincy Shirts, uh, all kinds of sort of Reds-related and other Reds players-related stuff, so do check it out at CincyShirts.com, or you can also check them out in the stores. I think all three stores have a pretty good selection of uh, Reds, uh, not only shirts again, but um, you know stickers and buttons and all kinds of other things as well. Uh, Johnny picked up a Tom Hume shirt after the interview, so that was kind of fun. Uh, today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. 
Check out our blog post from last week or from two weeks ago uh, about these dozen or so songs that mention or um, uh, or about Cincinnati. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and I even created a Spotify playlist that you can uh, follow along as well. And almost almost all of the songs are in Spotify. Uh, find Big Nothing on Facebook. You can find all their music in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your tunes. Find vintage tees from Philadelphia and other great cities like Cleveland, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We're always adding new designs to both sites, so stop by often online or in store. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is CATCHER, and you can take 20% off your entire order when you use that code at CincyShirts.com, OldSchoolShirts.com, or at any of our three stores here in Cincinnati, which would be OTR, Hyde Park, and now, of course, Loveland. So uh, yeah, Johnny was very excited to, be, to announce that code and uh, save 20%, although we gave him a shirt for free. So stop any and see us uh, anytime at any and all of our locations. Again, CincyShirts.com for all of your uh, Cincy Shirts needs there to find out what store hours are and all that fun stuff. And also follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get your podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye